everybody. Welcome to episode 17 of the MTV Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lewis. I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan Lee. How's it going, man? How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Good. We're at our house, or not our house. We don't live together. No. That'd be weird because I'm a married man. Yeah. I mean, but, you know. It doesn't have to be weird unless no, you make it weird. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're in Casa de Lee. We're using Trainer Road's microphones again. Thank you, Trainer Road. Of course. Trainerroad.com. If you ever get dropped by your friends or cause your friends grief because you're slow, you should just go to Trainer Road and it will make you faster. That's the way to do it. It will. That's us paying the bills right there for using their microphones. Yep. So thank you, Trainer Road. Appreciate it a bunch. Uh, this is where we talk about mountain bikes. You can go to mtbpodcast.com to listen to the latest episodes, share it out from there, find out more about the podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast there on any type of podcast app you use. Pretty awesome stuff. So mtbpodcast.com. That's your destination for all things mountain bike podcast. And you can see the fun things we do and the fun toys that we play with on Instagram, we're at uh, MTV Podcast. You can find our Facebook page. We're at the MTV Podcast on Twitter. I don't twit, so I don't know what that is. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. It is yeah. a thing. Yeah. It's a thing in a hundred and whatever characters. Um, it, speaking of the fun toys that we have, we have one of them actually right next to we us do. right now. Yeah. We have Aurora, Sparkle, and Embryo, I guess you would say. <laughs> it's okay. it's not yeah. fully finished, uh, but a beautiful, beautiful Yeti SB55 right by us right now. She's very nice. Here's the cool thing about it that I don't think a lot of people will pick up on. Yeah. Well, maybe a lot will, but this bike is not normal, meaning that you have Fox full-on factory suspension. Yeah. But you don't have Kashima stanchions. No. Your shock, also the body is not that gross brown sugar, not really Kashima, but kind of Kashima. Nope. It's all black. Yeah, they decided to one off me some factory stuff with all black parts. You're so yeah, you're 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 bougie. They're you're nice living people. that life. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got the same thing also with your transfer dropper post. Yeah. That's it's, that's an off the shelf performance model, but that's the only difference on the transfer performance versus factory is the it's, Kashima coating. So it's just the color of the actual dropper post, the the stanchion yeah. or the part of it that you see going up. Yep. And the, that coating, just so that people know what we're talking about here. So rock shocks, uh, you'll see their suspension is usually black unless it's like a lower end one. Yeah. And it'll probably be just like a, a chrome finish. Yeah. Gold. Yep. Yeah. Um, but they have a black finish and they call it fast black, but it's diamond light carbon, yeah. right? It's That's the DLC coating that KM- KMC uses on their chains and yep. lots of people in lots of industries use DLC. It's a hard surface yes. and it also is, uh, it reduces a lot of friction that you have with other coatings. Yeah. So that's why suspension components do that to give you the most fluid action. And also in some cases it also helps with heat buildup as well. Yeah. So that, that helps as well. And, and Fox uses uh, actually the, it's a trademarked and patented thing, Kashima coating. Yep. <clears throat> it's not Fox's. No. They're the, they're just licensing it or using it, right? It's actually used in different industrial applications, um, I think a few military applications. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Kashima coating is just a hard anodizing surface, but it's a different treatment. Right. So And, it's, and it, it is really good for suspension action. It's fantastic, but... Uh, I think a lot of people just prefer to have a not gold and well, thing like kind that. of a, a pro tip is Kashima coating was invented back when Fox was using 10 and 15 weight standard suspension oil. Wow. Once they invented or once they had formulated their, uh, their 20 weight gold fluid, Kashima became less of an advantage, mm. still a slightly better yeah. uh, stanchion surface than the DLC black stuff. Right. But 
it's not the, the talking, gap is bridged. I know you're I'm talking, talking marginal techy. gains yeah. of marginal gains, right? So I at mean, this point, you know, I wanted something different. I wanted factory that was all just murdered out. Yeah, because we needed subtle, and Kashima isn't very subtle. No, it's not. And the one thing that is ironic because Fox and Shimano they they hold hands on the playground. Yeah. Um, it, the the two things. I mean, if you were look at Eagle. Eagle, in my mind, X SRAM XX1 Eagle, that's their new drivetrain. It's got gold all over it. Yeah. That actually looks pretty sweet on certain bikes if you have a Kashima shock, Kashima fork, Kashima dropper. Yeah. And then that. Kind of. It's a little off, but it, can, it works. Yeah, and it can be okay. But that's a SRAM to Fox thing, which I always find weird. But this just looks fantastic. This bike looks really good. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're going to have some pictures of it coming up soon. If you go to our Instagram, you can see it on there. Yeah. Um, where we, it was still in pieces, but now it's together. So, yeah. and I am the only one that has actually pedaled that bicycle. Rub it in. Yep. Rub it in. <laughs> hey, by the way, I, what are you doing with your hair lately? By the way, is it, what's it, what's it's, going on? It's I almost see like it. you're channeling like a, I don't know, Jason Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> from fly racing <laughs> neil you're welcome neil <laughs> <laughs> oh boy okay well uh, we are going to move on from that neil you can expect something in the mail from that one uh we're gonna get straight into something that we talked about last week you can leave reviews for the podcast and you can do so on itunes that's probably the best spot to review them yes uh, you can leave reviews in other places. You can't do it on the Google Play Store and other spots, but on iTunes you can. And last week we told you that we were going to be giving away a Yakima bike rack, a roof-mounted bike rack, to somebody that left a review, an exceptional review. Yes. So Stephen and I looked at all the reviews. They were awesome this yeah. week, by the way. Keep those up. A lot of they had us. La- in fact, Stephen was in like fits, curled up on the couch over here. Yeah. Um, they're good ones. Pretty funny. Um, and some really just awesome ones too. And we picked. We couldn't decide between three of them. And so then what we did is we just did a random number generator and it landed on number two. And we honestly felt equally about all of these, but Toledo rockets, whoever you are, I assume you're from Toledo and I assume you're fast. You have won the bike rack. So please send us an email. You can do so just by going to mtbpodcast.com and you can reach out to us there Mm -hmm. and let us know who you are. Let us know what your address is. So then we can send you this bike rack. Yep. That's going to be expensive. What did we commit ourselves to? I don't know. That's what you committed us <laughs> That's to. true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Toledo Rocket, congrats. And please keep leaving reviews. And thank you for everybody that mentioned that they shared the podcast and got other people going on it because that honestly does the most for us. So just share the podcast with other people that you ride with. Yep. So for us. I'm actually going to do another giveaway, and this is out of my personal stash. Ooh, okay. So what we're going to do is a pair of either 27.5 or 29 E13 TRS race tires. Ooh, those things are good. That's $190 worth of tires. <laughs> I have the yeah. 29 sitting at home, but I will get a set of 27.5s if somebody wants that. Okay. You got two weeks. Two weeks. What do they have to do? They have to... I want to be tagged in some people's action shots and bike shots and just things that they're doing on mountain bikes. Tag us. Instagram. Cool. That's where this contest is. So, and tag us in the picture, and then also tag us down below in the comment, so yep. then we, we can we can track it all down. Yep. And we'll pick from the best ones that we like, and, and we'll probably end up having to do a random thing, because Stephen and I are, 
we can't really decide on which one we would like. We're very indecisive, <laughs> typical males. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. So, yep. uh, Stephen, before we get into the news and other things, we have some and, and your questions and and the business, which yeah. we'll get into later. Yeah, we have some housekeeping. Um, firstly, Stephen, last time when we were talking about low speed and high speed compression. Uh, and rebound, we kind of wrapped ourselves in knots. Yeah, Let's, I kind of misspoke at some point. Right, and then I was giving you a strange look. You didn't know if something smelled weird or what, and we just both got confused. Yeah. So I want to, let's just be super um, simple and basic. Low sp- So when we're talking about compression, talking about compressing this, compressing, compressing the suspension downward, yes. right? And when we're talking about rebound, we're talking about how it returns. Yes. That's simple. Now, when you're talking about compression, there are two stages to that compression, so to speak, or two adjustments that you can make on most new suspension. On Not on most, on some. Some. That's actually yeah. true, yeah, yeah, on some. So where I misspoke was when I set up my low-speed compression damping circuit versus my high-speed compression damping circuit on my 36 RC2 fork. Okay. So let's explain low speed or let's explain high speed first. So high speed, when they talk about the speed of your compression, and we went on this, went into very good depth on this at the beginning of the conversation in episode 16, but high speed compression is the high speed of the shaft, the actual shaft assembly in the damper, not how fast you're going on the bike. That's we're talking about how fast the suspension is moving through its travel yes. at a high speed. Yes. So it's being compressed very quickly. So high speed is when you go off of a drop, when your suspension first hits the ground, when your tire first hits the ground, you're going to have a high shaft speed. That's going to be your high speed circuit. As you go through the travel and it's absorbing that energy, your shaft speed begins to slow down. And before you bottom out, you then transfer into the low speed compression circuit. Yep. Now, low speed compression circuit also takes over when you are sprinting through and just pumping back and forth, you know, on the, you know, on the bars, on the pedals, and your front end is just bobbing slightly. That's the low speed compression. Yep. Cause it's a slower <clears throat> speed that the suspension's moving through the travel, yes. right? So if you're pumping on jumps or anything else like that, or a G out, anything like that. And when I say G out, I'm talking about when you're descending down something and then it suddenly changes to be flat or it turns back uphill and yes. you feel the G forces. Yeah. And then high speed would be taken over on like high speed chattery stuff like washboarded out, double track, or you know, medium sized small rocks through a rock mm-hmm. garden. That's gonna be more high speed compression. And that's when <clears throat> and so in most cases, people like to ease off a bit on the high speed compression in most cases. Yes. Because they want things to be initially supple so that way their front tire tracks well on the ground. Yes. And then in most cases you'll see, well, and then low speed compression very much depends though on the bike and everything else later on. Yeah. If you feel like you're pushing through and you're, you're not getting a lot of, like if you push into your bike and you just feel like you're losing a lot of energy, it doesn't come back underneath you. Or if you feel like you're bottoming out a lot, yeah, you would want to turn up that low speed compression. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So for me personally, the way that I set up my 36 RC2 is I go to the softest compression on both of them. So full counterclockwise on both settings. Okay. Low speed compression, I usually do four or five clicks to the right. Okay, so you're so you're tightening that up. Yeah, so I'm mm-hmm. basically making I'm giving it more low speed compression damping by four or five clicks. Yep, so more supportive. More supportive. 
the high speed, I only click to the right two. Okay. I'm very, very light because I want it to just absorb everything on the first two inches of travel. Yep. I want it that as supple as possible. And then my rebound, I usually have my rebound set to five or six mm-hmm. from full fast. So from all the way out, which is backwards from how Fox describes how you adjust it, yeah. I go all the way to the fastest rebound and click in to slow the rebound down or add rebound damping Correct. by five or six clicks, and that's it. Yep. And remember, rebound, we're talking about not how we're talking about rebound damping, like you said. Yeah. So when you're adjusting that, you're adjusting the rate at which it, it returns. Yes. So um, Rock Shocks has a handy little turtle, tortoise and hare on there. That's easy. That's talking about how quickly it's going to return. That's the rebound damping that you're adjusting. And so. that's the confusing thing with Fox is they go plus and minus on everything. Mm-hmm. So people think plus is faster, but that's not. Plus means more, more damping. damping, which means it slows the, the compression and slows the rebound down. Which that's par for the course in the motorcycle and automotive industry and everything yes. else. Plus usually means more damping. So. Yeah. Um, so that covers that. The other house cleaning item we have to do is, uh, the E13 dropper that we, or I forgive me. We talked about droppers and our frustrations with all of them needing to be serviced so frequently. And we said, boy, oh boy, I wish that there was a mechanical dropper. And we thought, and we said it could happen. And we, I think we even challenged engineers. Yeah. And so E13, E13 was living in the future and they were listening to this podcast in the future. And then they rewound time. They went back and they created this dropper post specifically because we said that. And they released it like a month ago. Yeah. And we (laughs) both knew about that. We did. We actually discussed that previously. Yeah. And we just forgot. We just did. So yeah. So the E13 dropper, it's a full mechanical system. Check it out. It's only 250 bucks. That's a good deal. And it comes in 150 mils of travel. Yeah. Because basically E13 looks at everything that everyone else should have done. And then they, they, they make a product from square one that does all of those things too. Yeah. It's pretty cool. So, uh, with that, Steven, let's get into the news. First things first, EWS round two happened in Tasmania. It did. Uh, that's where the devil is from, the Tasmanian devil, the little yeah. guy. And uh, so we're, we talked about this a little bit last week, and we said, it looks like it's going to be dry. It doesn't look like the rain's going to come. And then it did. And that changed. The rain definitely did come, and it changed around results again. It did affect the people that were sitting uh, with, uh, so they they did seating this time, but they didn't do seating based off of the previous results. They still did seating based off of like world tour points and somehow it wrapped around. Anyways, uh, Richie Rude, Richie Rude, the defending champion was still the last one to go off Yep, and, uh, or he was close to it, if not the last, um, but it was rough for him. Uh, he ended up getting a 21st on the first stage pretty brutal and then ended up bringing his way back from that. Uh, but he ended up clawing his way back. Uh, Sam Hill, Jared Graves, they were Australian locals doing awesome. They ended up clawing their way back. Greg Callahan probably would have won it if he didn't have his mishap on the last stage. Stage seven. Yeah. He got 39th. Oh dude. It's so rough, man. Cause he had the lead coming in. But the cool part about this, um, Adrienne Dali, which I hope I'm saying that name right, because Adrienne, you're French, and I don't know if that's how you say your name, but I hope it is. You won your first 
race, which pr- prior to this, he was at U21, uh, racing the EWS and in, in the under 21s. Yeah. And he came around and he ended up winning this thing, man. Which is awesome. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. So it's good to see new faces up there. Uh, so Greg Callahan got second. Sam Hill got third. Richie Rude got fourth. Florian Nikolai got fifth. Awesome. Jared Graves got sixth, which is so good to see Jared doing well yeah. again, which nice. One of the nicest humans on earth. He's just a cool guy. And I'm sure there are plenty of other ones, but yeah. having met him personally, I can definitely attest to that um yeah anyways awesome stuff shouts to local guy marco osborne yep he got 11th man 11th yeah he's close to being in the top 10 he's doing yeah he's actually doing really good this season i mean he's always pretty consistent top 15 top 20 yeah um last year in ews he had some mishaps but yeah no it's good to see him doing you know clawing his way up there and on the women's side it was equally surprising. So Cecile Ravenel is obviously Cecile's like the she is the she's the champ yeah. coming into this. And she was dominant in round one. And in round two, she had some issues. So she but she still, if you look at her results, you would have never known. She got a fourth, a second, a second, a first, a first, a second, a second. That's usually enough to win. Yeah, that's deadly consistent, except for <laughs> Isabel Cordier or Cordorier, forgive me. She went one 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 two two one one. Yeah, she awesome. Yeah, yep. And she started out kind of with an advantage on the first stage. Uh, she ended up pulling nearly a nine second lead on the first stage, and then coming into the next one, then she added on another five second lead. So she was really, you know, just racking it up, doing pretty good. So she did, she played it really smart, but something that's interesting. So for a reminder, for those that don't know how Enduro works, you start at one point, it's a long loop that you do, um, certain sections of that loop are timed, and then you just have to make sure you have to be the start of those sections at a certain time cutoff point. Yes. Right. And Cecile got a flat during one of those, they call them liaisons. So the non-time sections transfers. Yep. And she had to pedal. She had to, she got there. She ended up changing out the, I think she had to change out a tire. No, she threw a tube in there. Okay. Cause it was a tear. Yeah. She throws a tube in, gets it pumped up. And when she got it pumped up, she genuinely had to hop on her bike and pedal to start. Yep. Which is gnarly. Usually they have some time to be able to take a break. Yeah. Cause these are long days. You're talking like six hours on the bike. Yeah. So that's a long day. So but kudos to her. So, uh, Isabeau Cordorier, she got first. Cecile Ravenel, she got second. Ines Thomas, she got third. Yeah. Yep. Noga Coram got fourth. And uh, Katie Winton got fifth. Uh, man, solid to see. Really impressive to see that Isabeau Cordorier got up there. And if we can see more of that, that'd be awesome. Yeah. More parody there. That would be really cool. So, Anyways, they'll be back in a number of different weeks, or I think it's like six weeks or so, and they'll be up in Spain. Yeah, they've got a nice break. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting to see. And I, you never know, but it usually does not rain where they're going to be at Madeira in Spain. So in Madeira, so should be good. True. Uh, next, they launched Rock Shocks. Got busy. They did. And they released some new, actually a lot of new suspension. Uh, so we've talked about the Super Deluxe Shocks, but they revamped the Rock Shocks Pike. Yeah. And they did a few things to it. So firstly, the stanchions are still 35 millimeters. And the stanchions, remember, the part that goes into the shock or into the fork body, the lower, right? Yep. Uh, those are actually thicker now. They're not wider in diameter, but it's just thicker, thicker tubing. tubing. Yep. It's like they went to the Lyric chassis, essentially, is what they did. Yep. And then, and <clears> speaking <throat> of the chassis, the rest of the the rest of it, they ended up shaving 150 grams off. Yeah. And it's a boost-only fork now. 
You can't get it in non-boost. Yeah. And they said that that allowed them to create a fork that was stiffer and lighter because they didn't have to make any type of compromises in design. They just designed one single one and they were able to really focus on that and dump all their R and D into one design. Yeah. Uh, they also took the, the compression and all the different adjustments that you have on top and they sunk them deeper into the crown, Yeah, which I thought was interesting. And they did that to provide for better frame clearance. Which so. it, it actually is a smart idea. Yeah, I like it. Uh, the other thing that they did was they changed out the compression damper from the charger, which is a really good compression damper. Mm-hmm. They went to the charger too, which really the main difference it sounds like is that it's the main difference is that you can now use a remote lockout with a charger. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit more. I think they the tuning ramps are a little bit different on all of the settings, but yeah, it's essentially just an updated version with a remote capability. Right. And that transfers over to the RockShox RS1. It transfers over to the Lyric. Uh, it goes to the Yari. It goes to the Pike. And it goes to the Revelation. Yeah. So, and the SID already has the Charger 2 damper in it. So that means all of their forks are updated to that one. Yeah. Uh, so pretty cool to see. Um, so yeah, kudos, RockShox. And cool thing also, you know, that it's a 180 post mount now for 180 mil rotors instead of having to run yes. an adapter to get 180 um, rotors to work with your caliper. They're doing the same thing that Fox did with the 36 chassis. Yeah, good point. You actually can't run a smaller rotor than a 180 now. Yeah, not on a pike. Which it's not, it's it's a pike. So to be honest, you probably don't, you shouldn't be running anything or it's not, I shouldn't say you shouldn't, but it's a good idea to run a 180 up front. Yeah. Especially so. if you're riding, you know, SRAM brakes. Easy guy. No, I'm just saying, you need a bigger <laughs> rotor to make them work, isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, let's check out the next one here. Uh, Polygon released a bike that I don't dare even try to say the name. I'm very confused by the name and this got a lot of news. What the square one? EX9? The Square One EX9 with... The nailed the, React suspension. Yes, but it's React and the E is a three. And there's no E in nailed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I thought that we were like past using numbers in place of letters a never, long time ago. Never. Because <laughs> that was said with two threes in there instead of E's? Yeah. Nice. Okay. So it's a. they released a new bike. Uh and Polygon, they they are more known, I guess, more for their DH stuff, I guess you could say, probably yeah. in the past. But this bike looks totally unique. It is a very interesting concept. It looks like it's got a long rear end. But, it but when you look at it, it actually doesn't have a long rear end. The reason that it looks so f- funky, if I could say that, is that yeah. okay? Yeah. It's not, not in a demeaning way. It's just very different. Yeah. The reason it looks so different is because they've came up with this suspension design that, once again, is the nailed without a knee R3 Act React suspension. <laughs> and it's, it's actually not that different. They're acting like it's revolutionary. But, but it's not. It's really not. No. So I don't have any type of figures on kinematics for this stuff, but looking at it, so here's the unique thing. It's just got like a swing arm in the back. It's got a solid swing arm. That's it. It doesn't have chain stays or seat stays, just a solid swing arm. And on that swing arm, it's got uh, 
it's kind of, it's got like a hollowed section where it comes down toward the down tube and man, describing this is going to sound really weird. Probably interesting, but it's got a hollow section. So imagine that swing arm, it goes, let's start at the rear wheel, right? So it's got two sides. They trace from the axle forward. And then once they get past the front wheel, they come together. Yep. And then it's just like a solid kind of like a tube. And that tube bends down toward the bottom bracket. Yeah. Okay. That solid tube, it's hollow because it actually runs on like a shaft. Kind of like a, it's, it's kind of like a linear version of almost like the switch infinity. It's like a single stanchion of the switch infinity for it just to slide on. That's all it does is it's for sliding up and down and keeping that entire swing arm assembly from rotating. Exactly. And then it's got at the end of that. So, so that little, that the insert part, the stanchion, if you will, that goes into that swing arm that's mounted to the frame. And then the swing arm part where it comes through, that is mounted with like a tiny linkage to the frame just above that point. And then there's another linkage up higher that ties into the, the, the the, yeah. And it goes from the shock right to where your swing arm actually goes from two to one. Yeah. So when you look at it, they, so that they, they claim that it provides really good anti-squat capabilities. In fact, they say that it has zero anti-squat and that's one of the reasons why it's really revolutionary. And that's not true. I mean, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's, uh, there are a lot of bikes with no anti-squat and actually anti-squat to a certain extent, uh, depending on the situation, it's actually good. Yeah. So you want to have some, some of it. So yeah. anyways, it's, I, I don't know, interesting bike and I applaud them for doing something different. I guess the marketing just got in the way this time, you know, it just seemed like it was a little heavy handed, uh, for what it really is, but it's really cool to see them taking, a swing for the fences. And I think that it's actually, when you look at it tr- moving through the travel, looks like it's going to work really well. And, and I so. also, I just really like that the, the big thing I do like about this bike is that it's, it is actually something that looks very different. That's, it's kind of like how you always complain about Cannondale, you know, right. doing way too much engineering to get to the same net goal, but that's what makes different bike companies cool. Yeah. And also Cannondale freaking hits it up <clears> the <throat> park too. Usually. Yeah. They yeah. Do. I mean, their, their bikes are good. And, and like the bike that we talked about last week, man, the Jekyll is really freaking good. Um, if it's not on somebody's list, testing list for enduro bikes, it should be, yeah. it's something they should check out. And it, it goes about things in a slightly different way. This thing goes about things in a very different way. And I bet that it actually rides really darn well. Yeah. So, so we'll see. I don't know any polygon dealers anywhere near us. So no, we don't have any, I say in not the top area. Yeah. Yeah. None. So, uh, but yeah, interesting nonetheless. So kudos polygon on swinging for the fences. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, the next bit from Restrap. They're a company that makes like bike packing bags. Yeah. And they've made this bottle that is actually really similar to the fabric bottle that you have on your bike and I have on my bike. So we have on on Yetis, and it's something that everyone always loves to point out um, about our bikes. Well, not my bike. I have a bottle inside my cage. But all of the SB bikes. Yep. They don't have room for a bottle inside the frame. So they put the bosses on the underside of the frame yeah. to be able to mount that to it. Everyone now, granted, we don't live in a spot where we ride through cow poop all day. No, so we don't have to worry about. Yeah, we this. don't care. Yeah, but 
maybe people do ride through poop all day and that's why they wouldn't like that bottle. I get that. But what we've done on that is we don't like to run a bottle cage hanging off of there because that looks ugly. Yeah. So we buy these bottles from fabric and they just have little kind of like a, they're shaped like a T and they stick off of the base of yeah. your frame. They're called T bosses. That's what they're called. That's it. So, and then the bottle just slides onto those. The and bottle has little slots. Yeah. Yep. And this is a different approach to that. You don't need a cage. Instead, it's just a little flat piece that bolts into where the bosses are. Yeah. And it's got really strong magnets in it. And the bottle has magnets in it and then are magnetically responsive material. And then basically what you do is you, you take the bottle and instead of just like sticking it straight to it, you actually put it in at like a 45 degree angle or so. And then you end up twist locking it into place. Yeah. Pretty clever. Yep. I don't know how easy it would be to use, but the one thing that we've noticed about the fabric bottles is they're kind of like a, if you've stopped, you can take it off. But if you haven't stopped and you're trying to ride, it can be pretty tricky to yeah. pull those off. Because they're tight. Yep. Yep. So this one, it could be interesting to see. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, good good on you, Restrap. I'm going to get one of those and try it out at some Just point. check it out, yeah. Yep. Uh, last one, Steven. <laughs> Pawn Holdings buys Excel. Yeah, or they've they've offered to buy them. Yeah. Holy cow. So um, who is Pawn Holdings? Pawn Holdings is uh, the company that just bought Santa Cruz last year. And who else do they own? Diamondback. Yep. Um, uh, They own, let's see, or forgive me, not Diamondback. That's actually Excel. That's part of Excel. Yeah, so Focus Bikes. Yep. Gazelle. Okay. Cervelo. Yep. And Santa Cruz. That's Pawn Holdings. Now, Excel owns Diamondback. Raleigh. Mm-hmm. High Bike. Yep. They are the uh, U.S. importer and distributor of LaPierre. And Ghost. Ghost. Redline. Yep. And... A brand named Winora. I don't know about them. I don't know who Winora is. Yeah. The <clears throat> one thing I know is High Bike is massive. High Bike is huge. They're German. Yes. It's um, a very big company. We only get a lot of their e-bikes, I guess, in the yeah. U.S. is their main market here is all of their electronic. They've got like an actual um, drop bar road bike that's an e-bike. Yeah. With a full Bosch system on it. Imagine, wait, a road bike with yeah. a motor? Yeah. It's a... Dr- no. But it's a, it's it's out in the open. It's <laughs> okay. not like hidden. Oh, okay, good. Okay, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's UCI legal. You wouldn't or, think roadies would use a motor, right? I don't think so. I think that's like we... I think I've said it before. It's for all those dirty cross racers. The yeah, roadies, those, they're honest. They those don't do anything <laughs> the only epo they have is oh that's an ipo just yeah <laughs> never mind they don't have epo yeah. well mountain bikers <clears throat> just have ipas so they're all good there yes um so this would they're offering to buy them for 895 million dollars which is fun um so kind of <laughs> yeah. kind of an inside thing um the bike shop great basin bicycles that i work for is a if you're um, in reno go to it yes uh, buy stuff there. Um, they have basically made it to the point where Raleigh and Diamondback and all of these other brands are starting to be available through direct and through Amazon and different online retailers like that. And they got to the point where us as dealers for Raleigh, we can't even buy bikes from them anymore because they never have anything in stock because wow. they are partitioning and keeping you know, basically selling all their stuff to these online retailers and making it so that we have to find other brands to buy, like to actually sell to customers. Crazy. So they cut us out intentionally, but without saying it. Yeah. 
And so it's just really odd. I don't understand how it happened, but you know, three years ago or two years ago, I went to their product launch and they were like, we're committed, you know, we're going to make sure that we commit to our dealers. And, you know, so it was just this big ordeal and it's like totally inside and I'm sorry if it's boring to everybody, but it kind of sucks. Like that was kind of like a really crappy thing to do to your dealers. Yeah. And then that's go gonna and deal happen with a lot, I think. Oh, I think it's gonna happen a lot more. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Um, but at least be honest about your intentions. Yeah. <clears throat> there we go. That's the that's the takeaway. So yeah. um basically it it this hasn't been approved yet, but this is something that we're seeing across the board in a number of different industries, I guess, like in the ski world. So it's sorry to get into the skiing side of things really quick, but yeah. Um, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if anybody doesn't know, that's how Steven tore up his knee. So, and that's why that all of that led to me riding your bike before you have ever ridden your bike. Thanks so, for reminding me. Yep. Just thought I would. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but anyways, in the ski world, like something around 90% of all ski resorts I've heard, uh, in the U S are owned by two companies. So they're either owned by Vale or Aspen and uh, Mammoth and Snow Summit and June Mountain. I think Bear Mountain, I think. Yeah, Bear Mountain. Yeah, there's a bunch of Big um, Bear, I think, not Bear Mountain, Big Bear. Anyways, they all got bought by Aspen recently Yeah, or just this week. So that the ski industry is struggling. It has been for a long time. And same with ski product industry. They're also conglomerating into these big multi. It's all consolidating and falling into these multi, into larger companies that, you know, either have a way to bring about profitability for these brands or they're just so large at this moment that it hasn't caught up to them. The the inefficiencies in the model hasn't caught up to them. So we'll see how that ends up working out, but uh, it's, it's good and bad to see for the bike industry that that's happening. Because, yeah. I mean, already at this point, there's, you know, five manufacturing facilities that make everybody's carbon bikes. You know, there's, you know, Giant makes all of specialized aluminum frames. I mean, there's, it's, everybody's already making everybody else's stuff anyway. So it's like, okay, big deal. Yeah, exactly. Like, I hate to see more and more of it because you're going to have less innovation and more iteration, I think. And, and some even reverse, like stuff going on in yeah. the industry. So let me, let me just break down really quickly and we're going off on a tangent. So hopefully, but let me break down really quickly how, and I'm using quote air quotes, innovation works yeah. with uh, bigger bike companies. So in many cases, what happens is you have your R and D guys, they're out testing a bunch of different bikes. And when they're testing these bikes, they come up with good solutions. Yes. Good ones. They make uh, the current bike much better uh, for the next year, right? They'll take that design. They'll throw it to manufacturing. Manufacturing will end up running the numbers or giving a, a projection on how much it would cost to produce that bike. Then accounting gets a hold of that. And accounting says, nope, because we only sell X amount of these bikes, that model. So there's no way that we would put in that much money into so the cost benefit. Exactly. There. Exactly. Right. So then what happens is you end up, instead of coming out with a totally new bike, you end up revamping it just slightly. Yeah. And then marketing, it's up to marketing to be able to sell that as a brand new bike. So the story they tell is that it's a brand new bike and I'm a marketer so I can say these type of things, right? I yeah. don't know how this, that works, but that's kind of what you're dealing with. And it's, it's, it's frustrating. And I bet those R and D guys are really frustrated Yeah, because they know of ways to make the bikes better. They want to make the bikes better, but the simple fact is you're bound by the numbers with these, especially these big companies, because yeah. in the end, 
don't get me wrong, every business needs to be built to make money and sustain itself. Absolutely. But there are brands, then you stay at a small enough scale, perhaps, like Yeti we've talked about. Um, I'm thinking of brands like Ibis. Um, can't think of, you know, other brands. There are plenty of them. Yeah. A ton of smaller brands like that. Not necessarily like a boutique out of a garage brand, but you know, Yeti's a pretty big company. These, these, you know, well, even Cannondale to, you know, greater extent, they are left, you know, the Durrell Industries that owns Cannondale is, I believe one of the biggest furniture manufacturers and like one of the five biggest mattress manufacturers in the world. Like the Durrell Industries is huge. They are, I think I'm just throwing out a number, but it was like 60 billion, you know, dollars. I mean, they're a huge company. Right. And when they purchased Cannondale, when they made it part of their group, Cannondale said, hey, you know, you guys have no authorization over our, you know, our engineering. You don't get to bean count our engineering and tell us we can't design something because it doesn't add up on your end on, you know, the dollars and cents. Yeah, that's true. They are exceptional in that respect, right? And we don't say exceptional is a good thing. They're an exception to the typical. Exactly. When it comes to having a big holding company overseeing your R&D and engineering people. Yeah, so, and that's, I guess that that's the the point that we're getting at is when you have a company that builds bikes because they want to ride those bikes, or that's, I should say, the bikes that they end up building, the reason that they built them is because they've ridden them and they like that bike the yes. best. Uh, that's that's not necessarily the case across the board. No. Nope. I know that sounds illogical, but that's just how things work. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to see all of this consolidation going on and the implications could be pretty widespread yeah. moving forward. So keep your eyes and ears peeled on that. It'll so be interesting. Tangent resolved. Yeah. I think. We, we can get back to things and, and kick off the questions. Yes. Question. That's a ridiculous question. False. Well, that's debatable. Okay, first one is from Rick. He says, hey guys, fantastic podcast. I look forward to each and every episode. Love it when you guys geek out on the techie stuff and keep things clean with no F-bombs, which is highly appealing for me at least. Frank. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> let's move on. Big Newton. <laughs> he says, oftentimes I listen with my 14-year-old son. Uh, I ordered him a giant... 14. <laughs> a giant Fathom. He'll like that one. Fathom. <laughs> yeah. Fathom 29er for his B-Day. Uh, good dad right there. Buying his son a bike like that. That's pretty cool. Sorry uh, for all the F-bombs. Right? That's exciting stuff. He says, any insight on the Sun Tour spec fork on that ride? Uh, so let's cover that first is so they, the hard thing with a lot of bikes like this is that they'll spec a, a sun tour fork, a lower end fork on yeah. there. And the fork is really important to making the bike handle well. Yeah. But do you think it's a worthwhile upgrade to, for them to upgrade it all? Eventually, yes. Um, the the Radon XC that it comes with is actually um, this is like their second level up okay. a fork in X or in uh, SR Suntour. So this actually has a progressive lockout on the front, so you can actually dial compression in nice. as you want. Like it's like got seven clicks all the way to a full lockout. That's pretty. So good, yes, it is a coil spring open oil bath. Not a very good adjustable, you know, heavy. damper system, but it's heavier. But you know, the thing is, for a nine hundred dollar bike, it's actually a pretty good fork. And this is what's going to come. It's the same fork that comes spec on the nine hundred dollar Cannondale Trail, the nine hundred dollar um, 
Raleigh Talus 29, the, you know, $900 specialized insert, whatever here, rock hopper. It's the same fork on all of them. And it's actually a really good fork for what it is. Right. So it's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be a great fork. And you know what, when the thing blows out in, you know, in a year and a half or two years, if you're not going to upgrade the whole bike, guess what? Throw a better fork on it. Put a 32 step cast on it by the time, you know, your son's ready or a 32 performance series from Fox, you know, or um, a revelation or whatever. I mean, there's, you can always upgrade the fork later, but this is fine for a bike right now. Like, right. Yeah. And another worthwhile upgrade that you can consider is the Judy uh, from Rock Shocks. Yeah. Uh, That'll just put you over to an air spring. It's got the solo air on there. And, that one's pretty cheap too. Yeah, that and the Reba. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, those are some new ones there. Or the the Judy's back. So the Judy is back. He says, uh, "My son's interested in design and engineering. So your episode on all suspension designs was fantastic." Uh, at fifty one, I am recently back into mountain bike ride. Mountain bike riding. I'm racing B. I raced BMX as a child in the eighties. Or sorry, he says as a parole in the eighties. Parole. What do you think that means? I don't know. You criminal, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, and cross-country mountain bike through the 90s. I just purchased a brand new Ibis Ripley. Unfortunately, I beat the heck out of my body uh, and also for moderate car... I beat the heck out of my body and I experienced moderate carpal tunnel syndrome in both hands. Um, He says... Is there? Do you have any advice for training or bike setup to be able to to combat this, or maybe even gear? Um, First thing yeah. for training, off the bike training, you need to build your core up. If you've got carpal tunnel, you need to get your weight off of your wrists. That's uh, probably a good idea. So core strength is good for mountain biking in general. It's yeah. actually very important for good bike handling skills, um, but. Honestly, you need to build your core up and be able to learn how to ride mm. with most of your upper body weight laid in your core. Yeah, that's one thing that I think a lot of people misunderstand when you're riding. And and somebody actually, you know, asked us to do more uh, or to do episodes on bike handling, which we have that plan. Yeah, technique just and bike handling, we will get there. Um, but <clears throat> this is one of the main things. You should never be riding your bike with your hands. Nope. Like, of course, your hands are on the handlebars, but you're not steering your bike. You're not doing that type of a thing. It's you ride through your core and through your legs. Yeah. That's how you need to ride your bike. Now, granted, that won't alleviate carpal tunnel. No. However, that'll probably put you in a situation so that if you are making progress away from it, it'll probably help. Uh, the one thing that I would say too is PT for something like that is very important. Yeah. Uh, it's when you're dealing with something that is a chronic issue with joints like that, yeah. it is very important to make sure that you are doing everything you can to resolve it with a professional help. Yeah. And honestly, um, not all physical therapists are the same, you know, find someone yeah. local who is a sports physical therapist who does specific, you know, work relating to athletes, especially mountain bikers or just cyclists in general. Yep. Something else that you might want to look at is what type of handlebars are you running on your bike? Uh, do they have too much sweep or not enough sweep? Uh, too much uprise or not enough. And we're, when we talk about sweep, we're talking about how the handlebars are bent back toward you or and not. Then, and then up sweep is how much they're flared up from horizontal. Yeah. We're not talking about the rise. Yeah. The rise is, you know, usually you'll see handlebars have like a little jog upward yeah. after the, uh, when, you know, after away the from the stem. Yeah. yeah. But when we're talking about rise, we're talking about actually, like you said, the angle at which they're at. Yeah. Test out different handlebars. Uh, and when I say test out, go to a bike shop and see if what, which ones you can feel, which ones might feel like your wrists are in a more comfortable position. Yeah. 
that can really help too. Like me, I found that um, even though it's only one degree difference in back sweep and up sweep, I found that the Easton bars were a little bit more uncomfortable compared to the race face stuff. There we are. So it, it actually made a difference for me. Yep. There you go. Uh, so uh, let's get into uh, PJ's question. And we're just going to take actually just a, a, maybe one or two more of these, and then we, we've got, got to get into the business. We tangented it. We did. PJ, he says, So recently my wife has sparked an interest in mountain biking, and I'm starting to think about getting her on a bike. I want to put her on a proper trail bike and was wondering if there's much, if any difference besides aesthetics in men's and women's bikes, probably looking to have her ride the Yetis and Julianas as well. Any specifics, uh, you think you should, or any specific bikes you think she should ride besides these. Uh, thanks guys. Keep up the great podcast. Uh, so yes, there is actually a substantial difference on the women's bikes. Uh, Not in every case. In in general, in any of your better brands or higher end bikes, you're going to have um, narrower handlebars, shorter stems, and shorter cranks. Granted, one of the brands that he mentioned here, Juliana's, they will have perhaps narrower bars, shorter stems, shorter cranks, but they are not going to have a different frame. No, and neither will Yeti. Not anymore. The SB5 Betty actually does have a swooping top tube to it and different geometry. Oh, the geometry is the same, but the tubes themselves of the frame, it does change for the women's model. Okay. So they have made women's specific frames. Giant is another one. Uh, Specialized is another one as well. Yeah. Uh, Trek, I believe they used to, but I'm not sure if they do anymore. I don't remember what they've done with their women-specific designs. They may have messed that up, but I know they have WSD. That was like their thing for a long time, but um, I I don't know what they have going on there, but it's it's much more common to find what you just mentioned, is just component choices are different. Yeah, and one funny thing that I found, and this is going to be kind of a rant on Giant, um, Amanda Batty, pro downhill racer out of uh, um, Utah, right? I think so. She's in Utah? I forget if it's Utah or Colorado. I think she's Utah. Sorry. She's Utah. Sorry, Park Amanda, City. if we messed yeah, it up. No. Um, so she actually posted on her blog, and you can probably find it just by Googling Amanda Batty, B-A-T-T-Y. Mm-hmm. Um, but Giant, in their Live series, talked about um, their release of their new trail bike being everything that a woman could want, you know, if you're a high end, you know, rider, this is what, you know, we're making this specifically for you. And it's supposed to be the same spec as the men's bike, except the difference is it comes with all SLX instead of XT and XTR. It comes with cheap giant aluminum wheels instead of carbon wheels, carbon DT Swiss wheels. And it it just, they drop the spec on everything, but it's the same MSRP as the men's. So be careful of stuff like that. Let's get back to the tangent that we were on earlier. Yeah. How many women's bikes are they going to sell compared to how many Mm -hmm. men's bikes? Yeah. So of course what they're going to have to do is look at that and they say, we need to drive the cost down of that bike. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. It is a bummer. To see that. And, and the reason is, and this is across the board and it's not, it's not great. It sucks. Yeah. Um, but the reality is the bike industry is extremely, extremely heavily skewed toward men. We're talking 98 to two. Some people say 96 to four. Um, we're talking massive. It's not 60, 40. No, it's a massive imbalance. And, And, and it, and it should change. And, Hopefully it is changing. I don't know if that will ever, you know, get any get to a 60-40. I don't know if that'll ever happen. But when we're talking about, you know, more serious riding, not just like casual commuting. Yeah. It's definitely um not rightfully so, 
but unfortunately it is, you know, it's a man's world and that's just how it goes. And, yeah. and women's bikes suffer yeah. as a result. Uh, so it's really cool to see brands like Santa Cruz make Juliana bikes uh, that do have different components that are in, and they still have killer drivetrains on them. They oh, have everything absolutely. else, yeah. but they make smart component decisions. It's good to see uh, brands like Yeti make bikes that actually even have the, and specialized that even have lower top tubes because women traditionally have shorter legs, uh, their shorter height. And what they're dealing with on those bikes, a lot of the time is they need a lower standover height Yeah, because a lot of the men's bikes have those super high, the traditionally it's not so much anymore, but not traditionally so anymore. Yeah. they had super high top tubes. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's good to see brands actually paying attention yeah. to it. But so, you know, getting back to your question, PJ, really just kind of make sure you look at all of the specs on the bike. And one of the things I will tell you also is on the women's version of all of the Yetis, on all the Betty bikes, Mm -hmm. the wheel set will actually be a lighter weight version of the men's bike. So if the bike, you know, if the men's bike came with a set of DT Swiss XM401s in a 32-spoke wheel, the women's bike is going to come with XR331s, which is technically a cross-country wheel, but it's actually just a lighter wheel because women aren't typically going to abuse the the wheel set as much as men are. They probably weigh They're, a they lot weigh less. a lot less. Yeah. yeah. So um, so there's there's cool stuff like that. But just you know, make sure you look at all of the specs on the bike before you really pick anything. And at the end of the day, really your wife has to be comfortable on the bike. So make sure she gets on some bikes and rides them yeah. before get, demo the bikes thoroughly before you pick something. Yep. Yeah. I 100% agree. Uh, with that, Stephen, uh, we'll do more questions next week, but we've got some business to get to. Business is business time. The topic that we are taking on this week is, and I'm doing a lot of hand things right now, bike maintenance. And you and I are probably the most stickler people of all on this, right? We are, as Jonathan Lee, my friend, always says, persnickety. Persnickety, yes. Or one might say discerning. Yeah. Yeah. We're men of discerning taste when it comes to our bicycles, for sure. Yes. So what the thing is, and, and... that sounded extremely pretentious, and that was a pretentious thing to say. I like good whiskey and clean chains. What can I say? <laughs> so there we awesome. You watered it right down. Good way to go. Yep. So basically, our goal with this is to talk about the things that you should do every ride or every week, the things that you should do every month or so, the things that you should do every season. Yes. And this should, if you do these things, keep your bike in working order. We aren't going to go into too deep of a dive on each one of these things on exactly how to carry out these things, but we'll cover the specifics or important things to know. Yes. Um, and so we'll go over these things first, Steven, when it comes to bike maintenance, one thing that I want to get out of the way is a lot of this stuff you can do by yourself. Yes. You don't need to take it to a bike shop. However, you are totally welcome to take it to a bike shop. Absolutely. And the one thing that I would say is just make sure that the guys at the bike shop know what they're doing and make sure that you know what you're doing if you're going to take apart your bike too yeah. or work on it. Uh, the one thing about this world that we live in is there's a YouTube video for most things. So you can find YouTube videos on this yeah. and it can really help. We used Google last night to work on your bike. We did. Yeah. We ended up doing a lot of the things that we'll talk about. So yeah. and we'll probably mention that as an anecdote. Uh, so first things first, let's get into every ride. Every ride, although I did bring my bike in and it wasn't, it was only partially washed. It was washed off, but it wasn't fully clean last time. But yeah. I wash my bike after every ride. I do as well. Yep. I'm sure that my, our CEO, Nate Pearson, right now it's at Trainer Road, he's probably thinking, but your cross bike is dirty, and it is, and I need to clean it. My cross bike is dirty. You know what? 
but as long as the mountain bikes are clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. But we clean our bikes after every ride in almost every case. I didn't because I didn't ride my new Yeti or my new Cannondale yet. <laughs> yes, yeah, they are dirty, but I didn't ride them, so that's why <laughs> like I didn't I need, clean them. I need to do some work. Okay, <laughs> so but when we wash our bikes. Um, Steven, how do you wash your bikes really quick? What's the process of what you do? Um, I have a bucket of soapy water. I don't use dish soap. Dish soap's terrible. Bad. Don't do that. Don't Too many it. detergents. Don't do it. Use a good car wash soap. I happen to use Adams Polishes car shampoo. Really nice stuff. So, um, adamspolishes.com. You can get their car shampoo. Smells great. Doesn't taste as good as it smells, but it's phenomenal. <laughs> very soft stuff. So it doesn't destroy your carbon. Doesn't just, you know, dry yeah. out rubber. Doesn't have any effect on silicone. Um, so what I use is typically I'll use like a microfiber, um, wash mitt yep. to do the frame and the big parts. And then I have a very soft and this is getting really, cause I'm a car detailer used to own my own detailing business. There's serious car detailer here. I have, um, a couple leftover boars hair brushes <laughs> that I use. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. And that's for cleaning around the stanchions and the dust seals on the, yep. on the suspension and then getting into all the tight pivot points and everything like that. Um, and then I use a hard bristled brush on my cassette and chain to clean all of the dirty, you yep. know, buildup from the, um, the chain lube. Now I'm going to make every mechanic out there that actually may not know exactly what they're doing, even though they think they know what they're doing. Cringe. I use a pressure washer. See, and I, I just use my normal hose, yeah. but yeah. And I use a pressure washer and guess how many bearings I've had fail because of water damage. Never. Zero. None. none. Yeah. So here's the deal. Everyone always fears that if you use a pressure washer, you're going to harm your bike somehow. If you take your pressure washer and hold it very close to your bicycle and just leave it there for a while, it might harm something. Yeah, absolutely. If you point it directly at, a, at an open bearing, something yeah. that isn't, isn't sealed up or anything else, you could cause some issues. But, you, but if you're holding it four feet away and yeah. it's not. And yeah. you can even get closer to it. It's just fine. Keep that wand moving. Don't let it sit in the same spot. Yeah. And then just don't point it directly at things that you don't need to. When you're talking about pivot points, just get in there with a, a wet soapy towel or, or sponge or anything else that you're using like that. Yep. You can take care of it. Um, I use uh, Carnaba or Carnaba wax. So it's basically... It's like a, it's a, it's a soap, but also has some wax put into it and you can get it for super cheap at like Walmart or Cragen or AutoZone or O'Reilly, whatever auto store you yeah. use. Um, you can find stuff like that. That's like a wax and, uh, or like a polishy wax, you could say, okay. um, then, and soap all in one. Okay. Um, you can find that stuff and you just want to make sure I like the automotive stuff because usually that's going to be a little less. It's not going to be like dish soap. It's not, it's not as abrasive. And I'm sorry, but a lot of the bike company stuff, you know, I don't want to knock on Pedro's or on muck off or any of these other brands, but auto stuff, they have a lot more money to spend on R and D and I'm sorry, better. automotive finishes are a lot, you know, more, they require softer, less abrasive, you know, better product. So yeah. that's why I always go with automotive and I have gallons of it laying around. Yeah. So. It's better to use in my mind. <clears throat> yeah. and I, the, the bike stuff I've never had great results with. So, yeah. um, yeah, we clean our stuff <clears throat> off like that. The one thing that if you clean your bike and you wonder why your bike doesn't look sparkly clean, chances are it's because you do not dry it off. Yes. And that is something that's very important. I dry mine off in two methods. If I'm at home, it's really easy. I have a uh, air compressor and I just spray off with the air compressor and I spray everything off. It's okay. great. It gets all the water out of everything. You okay. don't have to worry about it. Yeah. But if you don't have that, use a towel once the one that isn't dirty. Yeah. Use a towel and just get that thing clean. Yeah. 
And now um, what I also do when drying, usually after every ride, I will take a microfiber drying towel and I will take um, Pedro's Bike Lust mm-hmm. and I will spray it, mist it Which into like the rack. Which is like a conditioner Yes, it's wax. like a conditioner, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I will spray it into the into the actual rag that I'm drying the bike with and I will rub it down and spread it across and diluting it in the water makes it so that it's not stupid shiny and sticky and it's actually a really good setup. Nice. I, I like doing that. Um, every third or fourth time I will actually miss down the whole bike, let it soak in and then I will dry the bike down. Yep. So it's kind of like a wax as you dry thing. Yep. You know, conditioning the carbon, conditioning the, the silicone and rubber seals. You want to keep it conditioned. Yeah. If you don't, things are going to get weather cracked and yeah. So, and I actually use a poor man's version of that and I use armor all. Yeah. And if you go and buy armor all wipes, your bike will be shiny. But here's the thing that you can do. Wipe it down with Armor All sprayer wipes. Do not get it on your brake pads or your rotors. And also, if you're riding a road bike, do not get it on your tires. Mm-hmm. You can maybe do the sidewalls of the tires, but don't spray it on the top because it's going to make them very slippery. Yeah. Um, but uh, the one thing you can do with that is put it all on there. Then after that, just rub it down with a towel if yeah. you don't like the high shine. And it'll make things look less shiny for you. And just make sure with... Armor All, make sure it's non-alcohol based. Yes. Older stuff from Armor All was terrible and known to destroy people's interiors of their cars. Yep. So the, I believe they reformulated everything so it's not alcohol based, but any of these conditioners, any of these wipes, you just want to make sure that they're not based in alcohol. Yes. That's it. Make sure they're water based. The one that I would recommend if you have a lot of coin to drop, it smells so good. Maxima SC1. Yes. That stuff is good. It smells amazing. The carbon conditioner. It makes you want to eat it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. But anyways, so let's get away from that weirdness. We just yes. got weird on people. We did. But that's what we do when we clean our bikes every time. And we get, we I also turn your bike, lean, lean your bike down on the side, or if it's in a work stand, move the position so you can see the bike from various angles. Yeah. Um, you may have never cleaned underneath your bottom bracket. And then, yeah, you know, a year you later. You just missed it. Hey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So clean that really well. That's probably the most in-depth thing that we'll get into. The rest are going to be really surface. Oh, absolutely. So that's something that we do every ride. And here's the deal with cleaning your bike. If you do it every ride, especially your drivetrain, you're never going to have the problem of, well, how do I get that grease off? And you buy one of those stupid chain tools that you think that if you like run your chain through it, it's going to clean things magically. Which doesn't work. They never work. They never work. Don't use those. They're done. They don't work. Yeah, exactly. Um, old fashioned elbow grease with a cleaner that is not going to harm the rest of your bike. And a lot of rubbing with the rag and getting that thing clean is really going to help or a stiff bristle brush like you talked yeah. about. Uh, it's going to be important to use. But anyways, clean that every time you ride. And right? if you clean it, you're going to have to relube your drivetrain every single time you wash it. Yes, which is okay. Yeah. And a tip on that, lube your chain after you wash your bike or after, or make sure that your chain is clean always when you do this. But don't lube it before you ride. If you lube your, and uh, it's better than prob- probably running just a totally dry chain in yes. some respects, but. But you're going to waste a bunch of it. Yeah. It just flies right out. You need to let it set into the actual bushings and pins and. Yes, let the wax or whatever your lube is actually penetrate into the system. Yep, 100%. Uh, so once again, every ride, we wash our bikes, we lube our chains. The other thing we'll do is we'll check the teeth on, on, the cassette, our, on our cassette. The chain ring up front, everything. Make sure that there's nothing dam- nothing damaged. Make sure your chain ring isn't bent. Make sure there's no teeth broken off, things like that. Pretty easy to do. Yep, While you're easy. down there, it's all of this. When I wash my bike... I clean everything off and I lube my chain and I give it a once over like that. It takes me 15 minutes. Yeah. It doesn't take long. No, it doesn't. And that's the thing. Once again, if you do it frequently, you don't get used to it and it's quick. Yep. And you don't have to have a whole time doing it. So other things that I check every time I, on my suspension, I check the pressure every time before I ride. 
Every time you pump? check the, you check with a shock pump. Yep, I okay. do. And it's not necessary to do it every time. I don't. I just keep an eye on my limit meters of, you know, the little O-rings on okay. my fork and shock. And if one blows off the end, because I dial my suspension typically in where the front is within an eighth inch of bottom out, the rear, if you look at it the wrong way, it's, you know, the actual little O-ring is mm-hmm. falling off the stanchion of okay. the shock. So Perfect. I'm pretty close. Like, I got it dialed so I know that if it did fall off, oh, I took a bigger hit than I normally do, or I need to check the air. That makes sense. Yeah. And then what I do is I actually document my settings. Um, I I have a cabinet in my garage, and inside that cabinet, I fold open the door, and when you look in that door, I just have everything written down. I just have like a little spreadsheet that I've written on there, and I just write down the settings that I have. Usually on on my fork, I'll take the inside of the top cap and take a fine tip Sharpie, Mm -hmm. and I'll put the air pressure, Nice. High speed rebound or high speed compression, low speed compression, rebound, and I'll just put the numbers in. Smart. That's what I do. That's a really smart idea. So I always have it with me. Yeah, and you're you can use your phone because you're always gonna have that True. with you probably too. Yeah. So that's another way to do it. Um, but I, I always write down the pressure uh, that I have, or I, I don't write it down every day. I just write it down if I've changed a setting. Yeah. But that way I have a record of it. But I check my pressure every time. I know that sounds crazy, but that's just me. And then I also check my settings. Um, this is something that I won't do every time, but it's not a bad idea because sometimes somebody looks at your bike, they play around with it and they change some clickers on there. So they might change the compression or rebound. You might not even know. I have friends that think it's funny to mess with my bike. Yeah. yeah. You might bump something too. You know, when you take your bottle in and out, are you changing a rebound every time when the tip of the bottle hits that part of your shock maybe? Yeah. So, uh, check the settings that you have too. It's not a bad idea to do. Yep. And then the last thing that we do every time we ride, tires, right? Always check tire, tire pressure right before you ride because if you go to a different elevation to ride, it's going to be different from when, you know, within a PSI or two. But yeah. it will be different if you go from, say, 3,000 feet to 5,000 feet to ride. Your pressure is going to be different. So check it right when you're riding. Yep. And then the other thing we do is we check the tire's condition. Yeah. We check to see if there's any rips, tears, missing lugs, tread wear, yep. all of that. So all of that stuff right there, even if you're checking pressure in both your tires and everything else, this shouldn't take you more than 20 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so t- now I know people are saying 20 minutes, I don't have that, right, to, to go over every time. There are some times when I come home and my bike is not dirty at all from a ride. It might have some dust on it. So I'll just use the hose. I'll just wipe or I'll have a soapy bucket. I'll wipe things off really quick. Yeah. I've even come home and I've even just sprayed it off with my air compressor because I keep it so clean and I keep it with armor all or wax on there yeah. that I can just spray it off with dust and the dust flies off and it's good to go. Spray off with air, just compressed yep. air and yeah, compressed air. Yep. And then on the drivetrain, I'll actually use a cleaner on that. And then it's good. And the beauty of In that case, using, it's less than two minutes. Yeah. Right. Like the, the beauty of using the, the Pedro's bike lust and like the Maxima SE one, SE one, SE one. Yeah. Um, is over time as it conditions your carbon, um, mud and dirt stick to it less. Yes. So it's actually over time. It's easier to yep. maintain your bike and keep it clean. Absolutely. So, just is. a cool little side note. Yep. So that's what we do every time we ride. Yep. Now you do not have to do that every time you ride, but this is, if you want to follow things to the best, that's, that's, you know, 10 out of tens. That's what you would do. It's really just paying attention to your bike and that's paying really attention to stuff. Yeah, it really is. So now let's get into every month. Uh, first thing on a monthly basis, you know, first thing with suspension, you always want to make sure that your dust seals aren't starting to crack or leak oil. So you just want to check them out. Yeah. That's it. Just look at them. Yep. Check them out. 
see if there's a lot of dust gathering in between there. Um, if you do have, uh, if they do want to be able to like check out, make sure they're clean. What I, I recommended, or I, I mentioned 35 millimeter film since all of us hipsters just carry around 35 millimeter film in our pockets all the time. You had to explain what that <laughs> yeah, was last yeah, episode. Yeah. Um, but what would you recommend if they wanted to just run something down there to make sure that things weren't I use bad? the tips of very small zip ties. Okay. And I just stick it into the dust wiper and I just pry out and around and it gets all the dust and all the dirt build up out of the actual dust wiper assembly without getting into the oil side of everything. And once again, we're talking, this is more of like a monthly ish thing. So this isn't like an every ride thing. Uh, Tires again, you'll just want to check the condition of your tires. And then you'll also want to check the sealant. And this isn't breaking the tire open and physically looking at the sealant. It's simple. Just shake your wheel and hear the sealant sloshing around. Make sure you can hear it. Yeah. Or if it's orange or I mean, if it's, uh, if, if it's stands sealant, then change it out because yeah. you've got a stanimal. After yeah. A month. <laughs> and for those that don't know what stanimal is, uh, when you run stands for an extended period of time, you know, like a few weeks, <laughs> <laughs> it, it tends to bond together and it creates a weird sea urchin like creature inside your rim that just bounces around. So and it's just a little latex creature and they usually look like some sort of animal. Yep. And so they're called stanimals. Yes, that's it. And certain bike shops actually save their stanimals. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a stanimal that's the size of like a small rodent at Great Basin still. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, if you have sealant like orange seal, we found that to last much longer. Yeah. Especially their um, new endurance blend. Even up to it's a like, whole season. Yeah. It's crazy. Solid six to eight months. Yep. Yeah. So they make really good stuff there. Um, so just check that sealant. Uh, on contact points, check your grips. This should be pretty darn apparent though. It'll become, your grips will become worn or torn yeah. if they need to be replaced. But if you're using like a foam grip, like an ESI, which is my personal favorite uh, grip to use, something like that. Because you're an XC nerd. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I all of you Enduro bros will be on that game someday too. Just no, we wait. won't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You <laughs> um, but uh, if you're running ESIs or even if you're running like a soft duty grip, like yeah. Renthal has very, very soft grips. The Census Kevlar grips ones. are really soft. Census typically. makes really yeah. soft ones too, um, which they're a Reno company. Shout out to Census, awesome stuff. But uh, if you're running softer grips, just check them out. And if you need to replace them, chances are they're probably cheaper. Usually softer grips are, yeah. which is nice. So you can change them out there. Um, if you're changing ESI grips, really quick pro tip: use um, low concentration uh, rubbing alcohol. And, or actually, I don't know if it's rubbing alcohol or rubbing alcohol you wouldn't want to use. It'd just be isopropyl alcohol. Eh, similar, but yeah. Similar. You want isopropyl, like a 70% isopropyl. Yep, low low concentration isopropyl alcohol. And then what you do is you take that, you, you take the grip and you slide it onto your finger. So then it's like a it's like a Chinese finger trap, right? And then all you do there is you pour in a little bit of that alcohol into there. So then the grip is wet with that. And then take that and then just take a little bit and drip a little bit onto the handlebars and then work it on with a, using a rag in between your hand and the grip to really squeeze it on there. That's the best way to get silicone grips on like that yeah. without any issue. So that's at least what I do. Yep. So, uh, and then cut, taking them off, a razor blade with just much care. Be very careful to not cut your handlebars. Just cut slightly above and then just tear the grip off after yeah. that. So cut into the foam or silicone yep. and then peel it off and break the last little bit. Correct. Yep. That's the way to do it. Um, and then pedal bearings. 
if check them yeah check them see if your pedal has any free play in it like wobbly mm-hmm. free play if you have uh, a lot of pedals you can just like basically have any type of like a small fitting and you can just push grease like your crank brothers you just push grease in and then the grease comes out the other side yeah it's really simple to use so or you just run shimano's and you never have to do that yeah that's a good point um or x pedos <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um brakes <sighs> so it's not necessary to bleed your brakes no uh, it used to be if you had Avids. Yeah. But that's not the case anymore. No. Um, if, but it's not a, if you need to do it, it's something that you definitely should be checking for. And the way to do that is just basically, are your brakes more squishy, less consistent in their engagement? And the, the quick way to tell, take your bike, stand it up on the rear wheel, front wheel in the, in the air, and repeatedly pull your brake levers in, out, in, out, in, out, just in, release. And if they start getting closer to the bars, you have air bubbles in your system. There we are. Especially with Avids. Yep. And then pads, just check just your check pads. Check the pad life. Make sure that your rotors aren't rubbing on the pads. Make sure that everything's nice and square and everything's adjusted correctly and make sure you're not metal to metal because it's 30 bucks for pads or 30 bucks for pads and 60 bucks for a rotor. You don't want to spend that money and on more a rotor. for fake teeth. Yeah. That you have to put in if you, you know, end up going down. So yeah. uh, that pretty much covers the monthly stuff. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. Every season, um, here we're getting into your dropper. You probably want to send unless it's an E13 or some droppers are better, but, uh, a lot of the time it takes, you know, after a season, it's usually not a bad idea to send in your dropper for service Yes, or to buy a kit if you can service that dropper. Yes. And it's just like suspension. You're going to be changing out seals and oil. Yeah. It's that simple. And then, you know, refilling it with air. Exactly. Uh, pretty basic. Same thing with suspension. Yeah. You want to do an, an air cartridge and um, on the rear, you want to do an air cartridge surface and or service and seals. And then you want to do the same on the front. You want to do your dust wiper seals, foam rings, you know, just get it all, just rebuild it. It's not terrible, especially Fox stuff is really simple nowadays to yeah. do your annual service. And most shops charge between, you know, 80 and 90 bucks for a fork, a fork service and usually 65 to 75 for a shock. And it's worth it. You're and it's, gonna, it makes your bike feel like new. Yeah, and it takes like an hour. Yeah, last night we did uh, we did that on my bike. Uh, it's been a year, and everyone said, "Oh yeah, the RS one's great, but man, you have to service that thing a bunch, right?" You haven't. We haven't broke it open. I it actually didn't even look it. bad inside. Haven't Oil was touched dirty it for a year. Yeah, that's pretty amazing, and I've put a lot of time on that. Yeah, so. That's really impressive, first of all, with it. But we did it last night. We had no clue. That's a peculiar fork. Very weird. It took us a little over two hours to do fork and shock. Yeah. And, and it took us it took us that long because we had to take apart the damper side twice. Yeah. Because we didn't know what we were doing with that yeah. fork, right? Yep. And the shock was uncharted territory for us, too. No. I well, mean, actually, the, the you, Monarch you, you know how to use yeah. the Monarch. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So pretty straightforward stuff, though. Yeah. Get your suspension serviced. And when that happens, you can usually buy a kit or a bike shop will have a kit to be able to do that. Yep. Straightforward. Um, so suspension, uh, brakes, you will want to bleed your brakes at least every season. And not just a top filler, a back bleed or anything like that. We're talking full fluid change. Yep. Just like you have to do on your car, you know, you have to technically do it every, I think everybody recommends between 50 and 60,000 miles for brake fluid. Yep. Your brake fluid, whether it's Shimano That's Mineral. Car, we're saying. Yeah. So on your bike, whether it's, um, whether you have the blue blood from Magura, you have the, which is mineral oil. It's just blue, not red. Yeah. Um, or the Shimano stuff. Your mineral oil does trap moisture. It does heat cycle. You will boil it. It does turn black. You do need to change it. Yep. Same with the the SRAM stuff that uses dot fluid. That stuff gets dirty and bad, and it reduces braking 
performance. It causes overheating. There's a lot of little yep. issues that can happen, and Change it will it break down seals. So if you want to keep your, your brakes running forever without changing piston seals and the plunger assembly in your lever, just pay 15 bucks to bleed your brakes. Do a full bleed and transfer all new fluid in there once a season. And if you have SRAM brakes, the guides or the levels, it's super easy now. I mean, it's so easy on any of them anymore. It's, yeah, yeah, it's not difficult anymore. No. So, um, so pretty straightforward there. Uh, and pads, get new pads every year. Or, you know, if they need to be replaced. That's true. If you have SRAM, SRAMs usually go through uh, brake pads really quickly. Yep. Shimano's tend to last a long time. Right. So it depends. But Don't get me started on Shimano brakes. A drivetrain. They just work, bud. <laughs> they work really well. <laughs> it's true. They they do stop you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's. I'm, I'm going to take the high road here. Yeah. Drivetrain. <clears throat> uh, chain cassette and chain ring. Yes. In in rare or in certain situations, you may not need to replace that. But in most cases, I would recommend doing yeah. so. Because the problem is, once your chain stretches. It starts stretching your cassette teeth out. Yes. Your chain ring, especially narrow wides now, are very particular on the on the width and keeping that chain captive all yes. the time. So once the chain ring starts to wear, once your chain starts to stretch, everything starts to stretch out. And if you get really bad shifting or the chain's dropping mm-hmm. a lot or it's just really noisy all the time, putting a new chain on isn't going to fix the problem. It's no. going to basically try to bed. It's going to assimilate itself to a stretch set of chain rings and cassettes, and you're going to aggressively yep. wear your chain out. Possibly even your break chain. that chain. Yeah. So what you really need to do is, you know, I know it sucks because, you know, Eagle and XX1 and XTR and these TRS race cassettes and everything, these are $400 items. They're expensive. Yeah. You might not have to do it every single season. And the cool thing is, is if you stay on top of your chain, yes. once you start seeing stretch in your chain, throw it away and put a new one on. Yep. And it will actually make your chain ring and cassette last longer. Somebody I know, um, actually, they keep three chains on hand. That's what I do, yeah. And then what they do is they just have quick links from KMC, and then they basically just switch out that chain every week. That's usually what I do. And then if you do that, in most cases, since they're using three different chains like that, they're putting in a third less time on that chain, and they're able to run the same drivetrain for a while. Yes. One key thing to this, too, like we talked about, is cleaning your drivetrain every time. That is so key. Uh, My drivetrain does not have grime in it. Ever. Ever. And because of that, not only is my bike silent and it shifts very well and all those things, but I can go two years on a cassette no problem. Yeah. Because I keep that clean and I change out my chains regularly. Yeah. So... That's a good thing to do. Um, cables and housing. It's always a good idea to change that out too when we're talking about mechanical cables. What do you mean cables? Well, I should say, well, I'm talking about the cable itself. You you and your XTR stuff, you're such a snob. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, so, but yeah, cables. Yeah. Uh, if you have XTR, you should probably just throw it in the trash and then you can get <laughs> Just joking. Just joking. It's good. But um, yeah, change out your cables. Change yeah. out your cable housing too. It'll uh, make your shifting smoother. Yep. It'll make your shifting more precise. More direct. Yep. Yeah, and a lot of the time, a water might or grime of some sort might get trapped into the small spots where you might have feral caps that are cracked or broken or even whole. Yeah. You can get stuff stuck in there, and then it can cause corrosion that can then get into the cable and all sorts of stuff. So change out your cables, too. It's not a big deal. And it's it's amazing what changing out the cables to your drivetrain and then making sure that your drivetrain is clean or then that's it. Just doing that in cables, you'll feel like you have a brand new 
drivetrain. It's pretty cool. Um, also, just on the note of cables and housings, inside a lot of the older Shimano and SRAM shifters, they used to use a really, really heavy grease to lubricate everything inside the shifter body, and they're not impervious to dust and water and things like that. Mm. And as the dust gets in there, it builds up, and it basically turns that um, really thick white lithium grease yeah. into almost like a glue. Yeah. So you actually have to flush that out with like a deep cleaner or like a WD-40 and then re-lubricate it. And so that right there, if you have really stiff shifting and you do cables and housing and it doesn't fix it, chances are it's actually the shifter. And you can just pop the top off of the shifter housing and just spray WD-40 in there and you'll see black stuff just coming out and until it gets clean. And then you can dry it all off and actually put a proper lubrication in there. Sweet. Um, So that's just a, you know, just throwing that out there for pro people tip. that yeah that's a pro tip so that's a good annual thing nice yeah new tires new tires mostly because you're gonna wear them out any yep. good tire i'm sorry they may last a season they may last two but i would be surprised with any aggressive amount of riding yeah and the thing about tires too is they have a shelf life they do uh they will fatigue the rubber dries out yeah so we're not just talking about getting worn out or getting slashes or punctures or anything else but we're also yeah. talking about just the rubber itself drying out yeah You'll get much better performance out of a new tire. You'd be surprised. Yep. Uh, finally, contact points. If you haven't changed out your grips, change them out. Yes. Your hands and the rest of your body will thank you. And then pedal bearings or bodies, once again, just check that over. Check and also cleats on your shoes. That Yes, we didn't cover that. That's a yeah. good one. We didn't even yeah. put that one down. People, you'd be surprised at some of the issues that I would that people complain about with their clip-in pedals, especially Crank Brothers yep. and Time Pedals. Yep. Um, but dealing with issues with the pedals, and it turns out to be worn-out cleats. I have, um, so I Xpedo pedals, the M4. Which are SPDs. Yep, SPD cleats, that's <clears throat> the style they use. Yeah. M48 tie is the one that I have. That's the pedal bot, or that's the pedal name. So it's a full titanium body, full titanium spindle. And you light. call me fancy for having XTRDI too. <laughs> that's true. And, but they use steel, um, they use steel cleats. Of course. I have, I run through cleats quickly. Yes, I do Quickly, too. because I have a titanium body on there. Mm-hmm. It's hard metal. Versus that steel that's a lot softer. It wears very malleable. Yeah. It wears them out quick. Yep. So I went through three sets of cleats in a year. Okay. But they're cheap. Yeah. You know, they're not expensive. I think it was like 20 bucks for a set of cleats. It's yeah. not too bad. Yeah. And that just, I switched out on that, not because I was getting like premature releasing or getting stuck into my, into my pedals, but it was because it just made noise. Yeah. I didn't want that, that noise anymore. Yeah. So yeah, I think, I don't think I went through any cleats last year, but I have like 10 pairs of shoes. So right. I, that's the whole multi-chain thing. You're back in the fancy seat with that one right yeah, there. There we go. <laughs> so that kind of covers it, right? I mean, are there other things that we, when we talk about gear, get a new chamois every year? Yes. Dear me. Yeah. Do not be the guy. It's the worst. Don't be the guy that's riding with other people and your shorts are so worn out that we get a like a, a gross clear perspective of what's going on beneath the lycra. Yeah, we don't want to see your mom tattoo on no, your No, no, we don't want to see that. Yeah. And your chamois over time packs down. Yes. And that is very important to understand, especially if you are washing your kits with just standard run-of-the-mill harsh detergent or anything else like that. Yeah. It makes your fabrics lose elasticity, makes them lose their coloring, everything else. Yeah. I I know that in a lot of people just can't believe it when I, you know, they, they think that I'm ridiculous with this, but I wash all of my kit by hand and that seems excessive. They even say on the labels that I can wash it machine wash. Yeah. But I wash my stuff by hand 
and my kit looks brand new yeah. every time after you. Now, granted, I use Quare's stuff, C-U-O-R-E, and they make incredible kits, yes. like absolutely wonderful kits, the best ones that I've worn. So th- they do last really well, but I wash those things by hand. It takes me, I have to do it tonight, actually, to wash all my kit right now. Yeah. And I will wash, let me think here, I will wash three skin suits, four bibs, four jerseys from Quare. And then I have a bunch of other stuff that I use, some stuff from Rafa and some other stuff that I use a lot of the time on the trainer. Okay. I'll wash that stuff too. Um, three jerseys and three bibs. And within that four base layers, that'll probably take me 20 minutes. Okay. So it's really not it's that not tough. terrible. I know that we have a washing, I know that we have washing machines, but it doesn't take you that long. Yeah. So, and, and then I just hang dry it. Yeah. Now for me, I just, and the thing that's going to break down a lot of your chamois foams is more the heat in your um, yeah. dryer. Yep. So what I do is I actually just take all my riding gear, delicate cycle, vinegar, baking soda, and a tiny bit of detergent, just, I mean, barely any, just enough to create some foaming and some release agent yep. um, on the dirt and the, the fungus stuff yes. from the kit. Um, and then I usually dry it on the lowest heat setting, but only for a little while and then hang dry the rest of it. Yeah, that's the thing. The, if you're going to avoid any step with mechanization there, it's the dryer. It's the dryer, yeah. If you can just hang dry, the washing machine isn't terrible as long as you're very sparing with your detergent. Especially if it's like a tumble one and it doesn't have like an agitator or anything else. Yeah. Uh, agitators can be pretty tough, especially on bib straps. It yeah. can get it caught up and it gets all... Yeah all messed up there. So, um, so yeah. And saddles. Remember saddles are a wear item. Yeah, that's true. We bikes. didn't cover that one. We didn't. Yeah. And they do wear out. I know everyone says I've had this saddle for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. You should change it. Yeah. <laughs> so Brooks saddles get better with age. Yeah. Most saddles are a wear item. Better within reason. I don't know who they're really made for. I've never sat on a Brooks and felt like I was comfortable. But did you feel like a hipster? Yes. There you go. There we are. That's, I guess what really matters, right? Yeah. Well, with that, Stephen, uh, let's get into the tips. You don't care they're counting on your tips to live? My tip for this week, we actually played with this at dinner before the podcast, Stephen. <laughs> um, our dogs didn't like it. No. Simon, my son, seemed to like it a lot. Of course. My wife seemed indifferent. Yeah. But you liked it. I Well, duh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got a Mavic Pro, the DJI Mavic Pro drone. It fits, and I'm going to give, because I'm sure people have heard about this ad nauseum, but I'm going to give the mountain bike review. This is part one, because part two will come when I get some more time with it, because I just got this thing. But first things first, it is very small. It is tiny. Yes. It's about the size of a cycling water bottle. When it's folded all up. up. Yeah. A small, like a 600. It would fit inside of one of my fabric bottle cages. Yes. It's pretty small. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it folds up really small so you can fit it into your camel back or anything else like that. The yeah. controller is very small. I'd say the controller is about the size of like, uh, this will kick it back for everyone. A T-Mobile sidekick. Wow. <laughs> I okay. went there. You yeah. did go there. But it's, it's like, uh, it's not too much bigger than like an iPhone 6S. It's actually, I think it's or like a seven, like a four. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's I think the really, controller. It's a really it's small, small controller. Yeah. yeah it's thicker, it but it's fo- small folds up tiny. Yeah. Those are the only two things you need to fly the thing. Uh, and it's pretty awesome. Gets about 20 minutes of flight time. Okay. Roughly give or take, uh, depending on the conditions you're flying in yeah. and what you're doing with it has a great little camera does 4k, uh, at 24 frames per second with full 4k. And then I think it's, uh, 
2.7K, it'll do up to 60 okay. frames a second, which is pretty good. What'll do at 1080? Mm. It'll do 120 frames. I don't it? know if it will do 120. I don't think it will. I think it just goes to 60. Okay. We'll see. Yeah. I'll let you know on that on the next part of the review. The good part about it is that it does have very good active tracking modes. Yes. So basically what you can do is you can fly that drone up and then you can select a mob where you wave at that drone and then it recognizes you, locks onto you, and then you put that controller in your backpack and then you ride and it follows you. Yep. And uh, when you wave like that, it'll start recording at the same time, which is pretty cool. Which is so cool. So it can track objects that are moving up to 33 miles an hour, yet it can only tra- travel at around 29 miles an hour. That set up at our altitude, the highest I've gotten I think is 26, right around there. Yeah. So, uh, but in most cases during a ride, you are not riding at hot those speeds consistently yeah in most cases it's you know a lot of fluctuations so it's going to catch up and yep. yeah you can also do some amazing stuff with that follow mode where you actually make it uh rotate slowly in one direction so it'll be like following you but it'll also be panning around so it'll be going in front of you like doing a 360 around you while you're moving yeah. and filming you the whole time. staying at a certain radius and so a certain cool. elevation above you oh, so it's, cool yeah. man so anyways, uh, it's a really good mountain biker's drone because it has obstacle awareness. So it is constantly using sonar to scan in front of it and below it to make sure it isn't going to come and impact anything. Uh, it doesn't have any type of awareness toward the back or sides. That's important to know. Yeah. Um, but it does to the front and below. And it can fit in your camelback and it will follow you on a ride. It's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I'll actually get out and do some proper riding with it soon, and, and I'll have a full review on here. Well, cool. following that $1,000 tip, um, <laughs> I like Wolf Tooth's new remote <laughs> for droppers. It is cool. It's a $60 part. <laughs> yeah, it's um, cool. Honestly, you know, uh, a lot of the dropper post levers, I think, you know, these companies, even Fox, like their levers, they're one by specific lever. It's not terrible. No. But it also doesn't have a really good grip on it. Um, the throw on it's a little bit off. Um, it's a little heavy. It's a little bulky. I it give, doesn't look very finished. I give it a four out of ten. I would probably too. not use it again. Yeah. I mean, the dropper post. The dropper is phenomenal. Awesome. The transfer. I yeah, like the transfer it. is awesome. The, the lever's not. Great. The lever's not great. So the cool thing about the the Wolf Tooth remotes is they actually make it in a standalone mount that has its own clamp. They make it for to match the SRAM matchmaker. Mm-hmm. They make it to match the Shimano iSpec, both the old iSpec AB and the new iSpec 2. So it's you like can, Wolf Tooth is component Switzerland. Dude, they're freaking great. They're just, <laughs> they're just they, like, we love everyone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so uh, I'm actually waiting for that to show up. I'm going to put um, that remote lever on my setup. And, on the Jekyll. Yeah. Is there any way, yeah, man, if, if, there was a way that you could somehow hook up the hustle and flow ones too, you know, the know. remote on that bike be to great. be like something more cause it's, it functions super well, Yeah, but it's just not sleek. That's the other house cleaning item we had. We have to cover that really quick. We do uh, hustle and flow modes. We were mostly correct, but not entirely correct. Yes. So when we're talking about flow, that's when things, that's when it's party time. That's the 165 millimeter mode on the new Jekyll. And then when you hit that switch and you go into hustle mode, that doesn't necessarily mean it's climbing mode. No, that is just a sprinting mode. It drops the travel to 130, lets you sit higher in the in the travel, so, so less like, sag. Mm-hmm. So your bottom bracket's higher, head tube's a little bit steeper, and it's designed to be a more progressive, pedal-friendly suspension mode. So that's when it's you're pedaling hard. It's still active. 
that's when you're pedaling hard yes. and you know pushing. So like if you're coming out of turns or something like that, you're going to get a whole lot less energy loss. Yes, coming out of the turn when you flip that guy. Absolutely. So this isn't something that you're just going to be flipping going down and then going up. This is something that Cannondale intends for you to use pretty regularly. Yeah. And then if you really want to go into climbing mode and everything else, that's what you can still use the switch on the X2 for. Yeah. So, float X that has float the X open, medium, yep. and firm setting. That's uh-huh. for your climbing mode. Exactly. So that covers it for this week, Stephen. That does. Awesome. Thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, everybody, for listening. mtbpodcast.com. You can listen to this podcast. Share it with your friends. Remember, review in the next two weeks because... No. No, no. It's not review. Tag us in your Instagram pictures. Yes. That you put out with you riding or doing something that has to do with bikes, hopefully, or anything, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, anything, actually. Open it up. And tag us in the picture, tag us in the comments, and we'll pick our favorite ones, select randomly. And I'm going to throw this in there. We are going to do hashtag likes to party. Okay. This is going to be a thing, so you have to tag that as well. Likes to party. Likes to party. Okay. So if you do that, uh, you could very well earn yourself some free E13 tires. Yes. Which have been called the best tires ever by the guys at Art Cyclery that I know there. Yes. So. Anyways, thanks, everybody. We will talk to you about mountain bikes again next week. Have a nice day. Hey, guys, Jonathan here. Just wanted to thank you again for listening and let you know that if you like the song that you're hearing now and the one that you heard in the intro, it comes from Wave Riders Entertainment, my good friend Tommy Walter. Check it out if you're looking for more beats like this or some awesome tracks to listen to. We'll talk to you next week.